is our declaration here today, Jesus, that this is a house of miracles. This is your house. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty and there is life change and there are miracles. God, we thank you for every single life that was represented in those waters. God, every person that you have rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And God, we lay it all at your feet because this is all about you and it's all for you, all for your glory and your fame. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you for the miracles that are happening in our midst. And we thank you for the miracles that we have yet to see because we know that you're not done yet. Our greatest days are still to come. The best is yet to come. And so Father, right now I pray that you would help to prepare our hearts as we dive into your word. Lord, would you open up our minds? Would you help us to lay aside every preconceived idea or thought we had about what church is, what it should look like, who it's for, what its purpose is, and that you would help us to understand what was in your heart and in your mind when you spoke those words that you would build your church. You are still building your church right now. We witnessed it today. And so God, would you help us to rethink church, to rethink what it is you have called us to and who it is you've called us to become. God, we just, once again, bring everything to the feet of Jesus. We lay it at your feet, Lord. May this not be about our glory, our fame. May this all be about you. May you get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise because you're the only one worthy of it. If you believe that, say amen and give Jesus a shout of praise. Woo! Hallelujah. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And as you are being seated, I want to go ahead and dismiss all of our first through fifth graders that were in the house this morning to witness their friends getting baptized as well. Can we give it up for kids' life? God is moving in the next generation as well. Oh my gosh, how am I gonna preach after that? Woo! God is on the move. Calm down, Pete. Actually, no, I'm not gonna calm down. How do you be calm after that? Oh my goodness gracious. Oh. Welcome to church, y'all. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be with you guys. If this is your first time, if you're new to Life Church, uh, my name is Pete, and I have the distinct honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and we're excited to have you joining us on the very first Sunday of fall. We are now in the fall season, my favorite season of the year. I love summer, but man, fall is it for me. I love sweater weather, I love football season, and I love me some pumpkin spice lattes. Can I get a witness up in here for some pumpkin spice lattes? We're starting a new series today, simply called Rethink. Rethink. 
Several months ago, um, I preached a three-week series called Follow Me. And the main thought or idea behind that series was to recapture what it really meant when Jesus invited people to follow him. Because the word Christian today has a lot of different meanings depending on who you ask. Like if you were to ask 10 people out on the street, what is a Christian? You might get 10 different answers, right? It's, it's an easy kind of title to hide behind. For some people, it indicates a religion or a belief system that I'm Christian. For some people, they associate Christian with a political party. Other people think that if I was baptized as a baby or if my family goes to church, that automatically makes us a Christian. For some people, it has negative associations and they think of judgmental people or for other people, their opinions of Christian are more positive. Well, then when, when that word Christian was first used though in the first century, it was just given to people who were followers or disciples of Jesus. But it's gotten all confused and mixed up in our culture today. And I think, I think the same thing could be said of the word church. What do you think of when you hear the word church? If I were to pass out a bunch of three by five cards today and ask all of you to write down what is the purpose of the church or what is the church? I would imagine we'd get a pretty wide variety of responses to that question. For some people, church exists to reach people who are far from God, while other people think that church is for people who already believe in God and is supposed to help them follow Jesus better step by step. Some would say the church should base its beliefs on God's word, the Bible, while other people would say that's all well and good until it conflicts with what I believe and then it's gotta change because Jesus was accepting of everything, wasn't he? At least that's the version of Jesus most people are comfortable with today. Some people have had great experiences in the church while other people have completely lost faith and written off the church because of the moral failures of some of its leaders or the lack of integrity or the abuse of power. Some people think churches where good people who believe in God go to worship God on Sunday mornings, while other people believe that church is a place full of hypocritical and judgmental people. Some people think that church is a place you can go to to hear a message about God's grace, his goodness, his love, and his forgiveness, while other people think about church as a place where you go to hear messages about hellfire and brimstone and people get afraid of being condemned to hell. Many people would say that church is where I go. I go to Life Church Buffalo. We are in Life Church Buffalo. And if you've been around our church for very long, then you know that our church began in 2006. And when we first began, the first three and a half years of our church, we were portable. We didn't have a building. We met in a rented banquet facility. And I remember those early years arriving early to help set up the sound system and the kids' classroom areas and all of that stuff and staying late to tear down. Some of the people in this room were, were there at the very beginning and were part of those early days. And I remember several people saying things to me during those times like, man, I can't wait till you have your own church. And I, I understand what they meant when they said that, but that saying really reflects what a lot of people believe is true about church, which is that church is a building. It's a place you go to. And for some people, that building, when they think of church, is you know, stained glass and statues inside of it. For some people, it's a building with a steeple and a cross. 
and pews in it. When I think about church as a child, my father pastored a church that had really, really uncomfortable pews. And my dad's church didn't have air conditioning, so in the summer months, hot, sticky, and humid, the pews were at least five years past the point where they had, should have been given another fresh coat of polyurethane. And so when you would sit there, you would begin to stick to the pews. And when you would lean forward or go to stand up, you literally had to peel your shirt off of the pew. That's what I think about when I think about church as a child. Really long-winded sermons by my dad and having to peel myself off of the pews. For some people, this is the only church building you've ever really known or gone to, so when you think about church, this is what you think about. But the goal of this two-week mini-series is to help us rethink church. What is church? Who is church for? And what is the purpose of church? Now, as we set the foundation for this series today, I wanna share with you why I believe this series matters. And to begin with, I think we could just look at the past 17 months for our first reason why this series matters. See, when COVID first began, and a lot of churches were forced to go online only for a season. A lot of people adjusted at first, but as the time wore on, many people began to think, this is just not, it's not enough. This is kind of incomplete. There's, there's gotta be more to church than just hitting play on an online service. And if you thought that or felt that, you'd be right. Because there is more to church than a one hour, one day a week service that you attend or watch. The, church is, uh, the truth is that so many Christ followers across our country over the last 17 months, really partially because of COVID and being forced to stay at home, have just gotten out of the habit of prioritizing church in their lives. Um, and I'm talking about in person and online. Like they first were engaging in online experiences, but then it was like, you know what, it's just easier to sleep in. I've got so much to do today. And and it just has kind of fallen out of the rhythm of what they regularly do to prioritize God and give him the first part of their week. In fact, some people might say, well, I don't really need to go to church to live out my faith. And I would say you absolutely do. Like, and that's not my opinion. That's based on the words of Jesus. Um, how many of you know that we have not been called to live out our faith in isolation, right? There's a reason the writer of Hebrews said that we should not neglect the gathering or assembling of ourselves together like some people are doing. Even 2,000 years ago, there were people who were just neglecting and kind of ignoring the responsibility and the privilege, really, that we have as Christ followers to gather and assemble. And so while it's technically true that you don't need to go to church to be saved, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian because, let me be clear, salvation is free, it comes by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> so while it's technically true that you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, I would also say you don't need to go home if you're married, but if you stay away long enough, how many of you know your marriage is gonna be affected? Your relationship will be affected, okay? The last 17 months has also showed us that the dangers of attaching faith in Jesus to things that have nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus didn't come to start a political movement. He didn't come to start a social movement. Unfortunately, so many Christ followers filter 
their faith through the lens of their opinions rather than filtering their opinions through the lens of their faith. So that's why this series matters. We've got to get back to what, what is the church? Another reason the series matters, as I mentioned, is that some have been hurt or lost trust or have completely written off the church because of the abuse of power of some of church's leaders, the lack of integrity or moral failures, and they just see hypocrisy. They see judgmental people and they're like, that doesn't look anything like what I believe Jesus to be. So it's important that we rethink and reimagine what church was intended to be. Let me give you one more reason why I think this little series matters. And that's the people matter. Eternity matters. There's no such thing as a perfect church because there's no such thing as perfect people. But when a church of imperfect people gather together for the purpose of worshiping God and proclaiming the good news of God's grace, that's where hope can be found. That's where grace is found. That's where truth is found. That's where life happens. And that's where lives are changed. So let's look at how this whole church thing started. I shared a few moments ago that this local church, Life Church Buffalo, began in 2006, but I think you know that the church, the capital C church, didn't start with us and it didn't even start in America, all right? The origin of church can be traced back 2,000 years ago to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that Matthew recorded in his gospel. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's a question a lot of people are still asking today. Who is Jesus? Now, for clarification, this Caesarea Philippi is not the same Philippi that the letter of Philippians was written to. Different city. Caesarea Philippi is actually a city just north of the Sea of Galilee, and this was full of a lot of Jews, but it was also Roman influence, Greek influence. This was not a Christian nation as we would think it to be. There were pagan temples everywhere, idols all over the place. And so it wouldn't be surprising then that there would be a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. There would be Jewish opinions, Roman opinions, Greek opinions. And so Jesus is kind of engaging in a conversation with his disciples. Hey, what, what are people saying about me? Who do people say I am? And they responded in verse 14, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say Elijah and others say maybe Jeremiah or one of the other prophets come back from the dead. Then he asked them, but what about you guys? And this is a question every person needs to answer. Who do you say I am? Look how Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. It's the first time the word church appears in the New Testament. And a couple of things I want us to notice right off the bat about this passage of scripture. Whose church did Jesus say he would build? His church. He said, I will build 
my church. It is, it's not my church and it's not your church. It is Jesus's church. He is the head of his church. Second thing he said is that all the powers of hell would not be able to conquer it. But how many of you know they sure will try? We are engaged in a very real, albeit invisible, but very real spiritual battle that is happening all around us all the time. And our spiritual adversary wants to create and use division and distraction and dissension to keep God's people off of their purpose. He will attack the integrity of the leadership of the church. He will try to tempt and entice you into gossiping and slandering and, and selfishness because the enemy knows that God's plan A for redemption in the world is through the church and there is no plan B. So if he can distract us from our purpose or convince us that the church really is something that it's not, then he kind of wins that battle. So in the verse we just read, that was the first time in the New Testament the word church appears. And when the New Testament was recorded, it was recorded in the Greek language. And the word that was used for what Jesus said was the word ekklesia. Now the word ekklesia is not a building that you go to or a service that you attend. I'm gonna give you the definition today. And if you're writing notes, I would encourage you to write this down because studies show that people who take notes in church have a 95% chance of making it in heaven. So. Just, there's a notes insert in your bulletin. That's for you to take notes. Just trying to help you out here. But the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia, which is a gathering of people called out for a special purpose. A gathering of people who've been called out for a special purpose. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not predicting a place but rather a people. This was not a building for people, but a body of people. This isn't about where we go, but this is about who we are and who he has called us to be. Jesus did not intend to start a new religion called Christianity. He intended to set a people apart for his purposes. That is the church. And as the church, as believers in Jesus all around the world, we have been called out from something for something. We have been called out from the world for a new way of living, for helping people know and follow Jesus step by step, for loving God and loving people. We've been called out from just living for ourselves for the purpose of loving and serving others. But we are a gathering. We are a gathering. And to those who would say they don't need to go to church to be a Christian, the word that Jesus used implies that we gather. It is intrinsic to who we are. So I wanna take a moment if I can and address my church online family. And when I say this, I'm, I recognize I'm running the danger of offending some people or upsetting some people. But I think that COVID has been used as a convenient excuse for people to stop coming to church. Now, please hear me. I say this with all the love and respect in my heart. You're my church family. I love you and I pray for you on a regular basis. And I'm not talking to the people who are sick 
or who have symptoms or who have a legitimate reason to be nervous around large gatherings of people in close spaces. If you have pre-existing health conditions, I'm not talking to you, okay? But I think there's a large number of people who have just used COVID as a convenient excuse to stay away from the corporate gathering. And some of you need to come back to church because we are a gathering of people. And I'm going to say what a pastor friend of mine recently said. I saw him post it on social media. He says, online church is to church what FaceTime is to relationships. You can see and hear people on the other side of the screen, but you can't hug them and you can't experience their presence in the same way that you can when you're in the room. Listen, it's better than nothing. And if you're not gonna do anything else, at least attend church online. But I'm telling you what, in-person church crushes the online experience all day, every day. There is no comparison. There is no comparison because where two or three gather, there he is in the midst. He inhabits the praises of his people. God is in the room when his people, there's something supernatural, spiritual, and mystical that happens when people of faith come together for the purpose of worshiping our creator and thanking him for what he's done for us. He comes in the room and lives are changed. And so church family online, some of you, I love you, but you need to come back to church. There's been a cognitive dissonance for some people who say, well, I'm nervous about COVID, but during the rest of the week, they're doing some things where they're around people and going grocery shopping and doing other things. Come back to church, experience God's presence because the church needs you and you need the church. We are a gathering of people who've been called out for a special purpose from something for the purpose of helping people know and follow Jesus step by step. Now, here's what has happened to the church over time. So Jesus used that word, ecclesia, which referred to a people, not a place, but within a few hundred years of Christianity's origin of Jesus making that statement to Peter, in the year 313 AD, the Emperor Constantine, who was the Roman Emperor, officially made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. He adopted it as it was a legalized, institutionalized religion. And they began changing the, the name, the, the word, and the meaning of church to a place. They actually, when they began to translate the Greek New Testament, they substituted the word ekklesia for the word kirka or kirche. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced, which is a holy place. Romans used the word basilicas, which is a holy place, a place where people go to gather. And so fast forward to today, 2,700 years later, I think the church is still struggling to find our real identity, our purpose, and our passion because of that way of thinking. We have substituted what was intended by Jesus to be a gathering of people who are called out for a special purpose of being endued with power by the Holy Spirit and then sent out into the world to make a difference to all of a sudden now we think that church is a place I go to on Sunday morning to fulfill my religious obligation. It's not the church. 
From its inception, the intended purpose of the church that Jesus had in his heart and in his mind when he said, I will build my church is threefold. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The purpose of the church is to love God. Very simply, the primary purpose of the reason we gather is to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And listen to me, worship is not a response to how Jesus makes you feel. Worship is our response to Jesus' worth regardless of how we feel. We have made it about an emotional experience, but worship is ascribing and attributing all the weight, honor, and majesty that is due Jesus because he is the king. He is the master. He is the Lord. So we love God. Secondarily, we love the church. We love people in the church. We gather so that we can encourage and edify and build one another up. Millions of believers right now all around the world are gathering to hear the proclamation of the gospel. That's what the word preaching means, to proclaim the good news. And there is power in preaching the gospel. I know some of your friends who aren't Christians might think you're crazy to come to a place and hear somebody talk for 45 minutes about something that they think is foolishness. But Paul addressed that. He said to people who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we gather to be encouraged and equipped and built up as the body. We love the church. The third purpose of the church is to love the world. We gather on Sunday so that we can worship God and encourage one another, be built up in him. And then we scatter to be the church at work and be the church at school and be the church in our neighborhoods. We don't stop being the church when we leave this building. We're always the church. So we love God, we love the church, and we love the world. We gather to scatter and proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. So to help us better understand these three purposes, I wanna spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about the four different metaphors that are used in the New Testament for the church. Four different metaphors for the church. And the first one is that the church is called the body of Christ. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because we talked quite a bit about this a few weeks ago in our All In series in the week where we talked about how you are invaluable to the body of Christ, that each one of us has a special part to play in the body of Christ, right? If you think about our, our physical bodies, they're pretty amazing and delicate and detailed. And some of you look at your bodies and think, man, I just, all I see are the things I want to change about my body. But God has made us pretty amazing creatures. If you think about the simple act of smiling, it actually takes 12 different muscles to smile. It actually takes only 11 muscles to frown, but they say it takes more energy to frown than it does to smile. So you should smile more because it's easier and you use more muscles. So it's a win-win. All right, you guys can smile. Some of you are looking at me like, smile. But our bodies are amazing, and each part of our physical body has a unique and special function. But each part of our physical body only functions when it is connected to the body. If I were to have a foot sitting up here on the podium, not only would that be incredibly creepy and weird, but it would be useless because it's not connected to the body each part of the body, which you and I are a part of Christ's body, he's the head, we're his body, we each have a special part to play. Romans 12, four and five, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. 
We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. One body, we really are one church. Listen, it's okay to have different churches, different expressions of worship, different uh, preferences for worship style and preaching and worship and all of this stuff because it takes different types of churches to reach different types of people. Okay, but listen to me, believers all over the world, from India to Iraq to Afghanistan and China and countries in Africa to believers right here in Buffalo are all members of one body, which is why it would, it's silly and stupid for anyone to start mocking or criticizing or talking negatively about another church or another person in another church because that's your brother and sister in Christ. They might do worship differently. They might teach a little bit differently. But as long as Jesus is lifted up as Messiah, we are all members of one body. We are his church. And one of the ways that we can help the body be healthy is by pursuing and prioritizing community, by pursuing relationships with other people in the church, which is why you always hear us talk about the importance of being in a life group. Because in community, we belong and become. It's when we prioritize being in smaller circles of people who can really start to get to know us beyond what people in church on Sundays can know us as. And we do life with one another and we share struggles and burdens and celebrate victories. And, and we, that's when we know we belong to a family as they help us become the people that God has called us to become, fully devoted followers of him. You can't grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. It's just the way God made it. You might say, well, it's just, you know, me and Jesus and my Bible and I'm good and I'm growing. Like you might grow a little bit in knowledge, but are you really growing spiritually into the life that God has called you to because you're a part of the body? And so I would encourage everyone here today, if you're not in a life group, we've got our Connect event today. It's set up in the foyer. We've got 16 or so groups represented for you to talk to the leaders and find out, hey, what do you guys talk about when you meet and when do you meet and where do you meet? And you'll have the opportunity to prioritize and pursue authentic community, which is accountability, belonging, and care, and spiritual growth, where you're growing in relationship with God, in relationship with the church and in your influence with people outside the church. So if you're not in a life group, today is your day. Spend a few minutes after the service and find a life group for yourself to get connected to. So that's the first metaphor. The second metaphor for the church is that we are also called the bride of Christ. Now this might feel a little awkward for men to think of themselves as being referred to as the bride of Christ, but let me talk to the men and the husbands in the room for a second, if I can. Um, if I were to start talking trash about your wife, I don't think that would probably go very well for me, would it? Like if I were to come up to you and say, bro, I really like you. I'd like to get to know you some more. I mean, you and I are cool. We're good. We could be friends, but your wife, man, I can't stand her. Like she annoys the crap out of me, but you and I are good, okay? I don't think we would be good, would we? Like, you'd have some choice words for me. We might even get into a physical fight. Because you want, why? Because that's your wife. That's your bride. But how often do we hear Christians today, supposed Christians, saying, Jesus and I, we're good. We're good. 
I love Jesus, but the church, I don't do the church thing. Organized religion, bunch of hypocrites, like Jesus and I are good, but yeah, I don't like the church. Listen, we've got to be careful how we talk about the bride of Christ. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not, because people aren't perfect. But Jesus died for his bride. He loves his bride. And he's coming back for his bride that is spotless and without blemish or wrinkle. So you and I better be careful how we start talking about Jesus's bride. There's so many places in scripture that talk about the church being the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, Matthew 25, 2 Corinthians 11. But let me just show you one verse in Revelation chapter 19, verse seven, which is speaking of a future time when Jesus is actually going to come back for the church, for his bride. And it says this, at that time, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb. And for those of you newer to faith, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of sin. See, in, in the Old Testament, animals had to be sacrificed and their blood spilled so that people's sins could be atoned for. And Jesus came once and for all, laid and sacrificed his own life as the Lamb of God. And it says, the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. We are the bride of Christ. And there are three things you need to know about being the bride of Christ. And the first is intimacy. In the same way that I have a relationship with my wife that I don't have with anybody else. She has parts of my heart and she sees things in me and I see things in her that nobody else will ever see. Similarly, God wants a relationship with you that is different and distinct from every other relationship in your life. And some of you might think that word intimacy is kind of weird. Like I understand intimacy between a husband and wife, but like intimacy with God, that's like, I'm not into like God romancing me. Listen, it's a metaphor. Okay. I define intimacy with God this way, where you allow yourself to be fully known by God, completely vulnerable with him. You give him access to every part of your life as you devote yourself to a relentless pursuit of who he is. That is intimacy with God. The second part of being the bride of Christ is protection. Okay, earlier in, in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul talks about how husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, if anybody threatens my wife, you better know that I'm gonna do everything in my power to protect her and defend her, even if it means laying down my life and dying for her. You need to know that Jesus protected you from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation and death, when he laid his life down for you and continues to protect you to this day from the schemes of the enemy. Amen. So there's intimacy, there's protection, there's also rights that come with being the bride of Christ. When I married my wife, her name changed from Kelly Poole to Kelly Jankowski. When that happened, she became the legal heir of everything I own. What's mine is hers, and she has access to everything in my bank account. And when you said yes to a covenant relationship with Jesus, 
you became the rightful heir. You are a joint heir with Christ with access to every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You have all of the rights and privileges of being married to the king. That is powerful. Intimacy, protection, and rights as the bride of Christ. Third metaphor, the church is the family of God. How many of you know that families can be a little bit dysfunctional at times? Only a dozen hands or so went up. How many of you know that families can be a lot dysfunctional at times? Come on, like, I'm convinced that every family is dysfunctional on some level. It's just a matter of varying degrees. But to think that we have been invited to the family of God is one of the most amazing truths and realities to contemplate. That God wants me to be a part of his family. That's always been in God's heart that he would have a people to call his own. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, As God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Pause real quick there. I want to bring clarity to that because a lot of people think that when Jesus says, come out from among them and be separate, that they're supposed to completely separate themselves from all relationships with unbelievers. That I'm supposed to go live in a monastery somewhere and, and seclude myself. But listen, if that were to happen, how would people who don't know Jesus ever find out about God's love and plan for them? Jesus actually told them to go and tell everyone about me. What the heart behind this is, is that God has always wanted a people who were set apart for himself, that lived by a different set of principles, that believed and acted differently. That's what holy means. Be holy as I am holy. Holy means set apart. That we are set apart for God, that he is our primary priority in life, and everything we do is for him, in him, and through him. Amen. That's what it means to be separate. And then look, what, look, at, look at what God says, verse 18. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's powerful. To be a part of the family of God means having God as your father. That you and I are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and creator of the universe. And as children, we are joint heirs with Christ, who is our elder brother. To be a part of the family of God means knowing and experiencing the love of God. To be able to call the only eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sufficient creator of the universe, Father, or as the original translation says, Abba, which means Daddy, that we would have that intimate of a relationship with our creator that we could call him Daddy. That's incredible. Now, you might have had a dysfunctional or non-existent relationship with your earthly father. And so this is difficult for you to really wrap your head around, but just know that he is a perfect heavenly father and can fill in the gaps for all of the ways your imperfect earthly father failed you. To be a part of the family of God means having all of your needs met, that he will meet every single one of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To be a part of God's family mean that we, are, we have a large and loving family. You might have a large family, but it might not be very loving. If we're walking in the ways that Jesus has called us to walk in, you are a part of a large and loving 
family. Look around you. Whether you like it or not, this is your spiritual family, okay? This is what you got. And we might be messy at times and like we might hurt one another at times, but listen to me, real family, God's family doesn't walk out when things get hard. Way too many people leave a church because their feelings were hurt or they got offended at what so-and-so said. I don't agree with what that, but what pastor said, I'm out of here. Listen, we're called to bear with one another in love, to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. We're family. To be a part of God's family means having a purpose in this life that is eternal in significance. One of the universal questions that almost every human being at some point in their life asks is why am I here? What's my purpose on this earth? And when you said yes to Jesus, being a part of God's family answers that question for you. That you've been given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up and edifying the body and working with other members of the body to extend that invitation to other people to join the family of God with you. That's your eternal purpose. No matter what your vocation is, your purpose is to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. To be a part of the family of God means we have an eternal, unfading inheritance that will never go away. You're part of the family of God. So we're the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. The fourth metaphor is that we are called the house of God with Jesus as the cornerstone. Now I'm not talking about a building here. I'm talking about a people. The church is the living spiritual temple of God with Christ as the cornerstone. Now in Jesus' day, stone buildings, that's what they were, right? There was one stone that was laid first and it was the most important stone. It made sure that the rest of the building was square and stable and it was the stone upon which the entire weight of the structure rested on. It was called the cornerstone. And we are a living temple or house of God. And because this is a house in whom the spirit of God dwells, church should be alive. Church should be exciting. If you think church is boring, go to a different church. Church should not be boring. Church, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is life change, there's miracles. It's a life-giving place. That's why we're intentional about creating environments where we get to celebrate the goodness of our God and the miracles that he has performed in people's life and rescuing them from darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his son and the kingdom of light. It's exciting, it's life-giving. Paul said in Ephesians 2, so now you Gentiles, and a Gentile was just somebody who wasn't a Jew. You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're now citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family together all of us together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are the house of God in whom the spirit of God dwells. And because his spirit has been drawing more and more people to this local church, to this family, to this house. Two years ago, we set out on a journey to make possible the room that we are now meeting in. 
We wanted to make more room for more people to come and experience what God is doing here and to join the family of God. That journey was called Legacy. That was the building campaign. Legacy as one for the one. That we are one church body doing it all for the one who gave his life for us and is expanding his kingdom through us. That we are called to build and leave a legacy that is bigger than us and will outlast and outlive us. But I recognize that many people here today were not here when we launched Legacy two years ago. Maybe you're here today because somebody gave to make this possible. You're the result of people's generosity. I love the fact that we have so many generous people in this church, but I realize that many of you say, you know, I wasn't here and I'd love to, to be a part of that. I want to leave a spiritual legacy. I want to be a part of, of helping make possible more people experiencing what God is doing here. Listen, the, the house has been built. The building has been built, but we're not done yet. When you drive onto the property, you can see that there's still a lot of work to do. It looks like a construction zone out there. We've got to plant grass. We've got to put up parking lot lights. We've got to do some stuff in the, uh, in the foyer still. There's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done and we need your help. So I want to invite my whole church family out to a meeting we're having right here tomorrow night, seven o'clock, right in this room, a legacy progress update where we'll all cast some vision and celebrate some of the things that God has been doing here in the last two years and provide some of you an opportunity that weren't here two years ago to be a part of building and leaving a legacy for the next generation. So I'd love to see you out here tomorrow night at seven o'clock for that meeting. We are his house. What does this mean for all of us? Well, I wanna to talk to the Jesus followers in the room. Those of you online who would call yourself a Christian. You know, maybe you forgot what church was supposed to be. Maybe you never really knew. Maybe everything you thought about church was based upon the traditions of men and what other people have told you through the years rather than on what God's word said the church is. It's time to rethink church and realize what it is that Jesus has called you and I to be a part of. A gathering of people called out for a special purpose to help other people know and follow Jesus step by step. Is it messy? Yeah, sometimes it is. Is it hard? Yeah, sometimes it is. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Nothing that's worth having in life comes without some struggle and a fight. I actually want to close with a post that I have seen circulating on social media recently, and I just want to read the words that this author penned that I think really does a good job of encapsulating some of the different emotions that people have for how hard church can be sometimes. But listen to this. He writes, church is hard. Church is hard for the person walking through the doors afraid of judgment. Church is hard for the pastor's family under the microscope of an entire body. Church is hard for the prodigal soul returning home broken and battered by the world. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together but doesn't. Church is hard for the couple who fought the entire ride to service. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands and seemingly perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower with no invitation to lunch after service. Church is hard for the deacon with an estranged child. 
Church is hard for the person singing worship songs, overwhelmed by the weight of the lyrics. Church is hard for the man insecure in his role as a leader. Church is hard for the wife who longs to be led by a righteous man. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer who desperately longs for a baby of her own to love. Church is hard for the single woman and single man praying God brings them a mate. Church is hard for the teenage girl wearing a scarlet letter, ashamed of her mistakes. Church is hard for the sinners. Church is hard for me. It's hard because on the outside, it looks all shiny and perfect. Sunday best and behavior and dress. However, underneath those layers, you find a body of imperfect people, carnal souls, and selfish motives. But here is the beauty of the church. Church isn't a building, mentality, or expectation. Church is a body. Church is a group of sinners saved by grace, living in fellowship as saints. Church is a body of believers bound as brothers and sisters by an eternal love. Church is a holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of grace. Church is a refuge for broken hearts and a training ground for mighty warriors. Church is a converging of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted and hearts are invited to seek restoration. Church is a lesson in faith and trust. Church is a bearer of burdens and a giver of hope. Church is a family, a family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting past mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest of victories. Church, the body and the circle of sinners turned saints is where he resides. And if we ask, he is faithful to come. So even on the hard days at church, the days when I'm at odds with a friend, when I've fought with my spouse because we're late once again, when I've walked in bearing burdens heavier than my heart can handle, yet masking the pain with a smile on my face, when I've worn a scarlet letter under the microscope, when I've longed for a baby to hold or fought tears as the lyrics were sung, when I've walked back in afraid and broken after walking away, I'll remember he has never failed to meet me there. That's the church. The church is beautiful. So let's rethink church. It's not a place, it's a people. We don't go to church, we are the church and we exist for the world. We are the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ. We're the family of God and we are the house of God with Jesus as our cornerstone. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that you would have heard a new perspective today, regardless of what your past experiences may have, have shown you or led you to believe that really at its heart, the church is a body of imperfect people doing their best to love Jesus and show you the love of Jesus, that you are invited to the family of God, to have an intimate relationship with your heavenly Father. So let me pray for you today. God, I ask right now that you would wipe the slate clean in our minds of the things that we have made church to be. And Lord, would you bring us back to the heart of it all? Would you help us as followers of Jesus to do our best to live this out, 
to represent what was in Jesus' mind and heart when he says, I'm gonna build my church and the gates and powers of hell will not be able to stop it. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for treating us as your bride. Lord, thank you for giving us gifts and empowering us to be your body in the world today. Thank you for building us into a spiritual house with Jesus as our cornerstone. Lord, we repent of all the things that we have made church to be. And we're coming back to what you have said it is. This is a house of miracles. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give the opportunity if there's anybody here in the room today or watching online that is not a Jesus follower. You wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're investigating faith. Maybe you're an agnostic or an atheist. I don't know what your background is or what the reasons are for why you have not chosen to believe in Jesus, but you're experiencing something in your heart and in your head right now that you can't quite explain. You can't quite put your finger on. Let me tell you what that is. That is the Holy Spirit right now speaking to you, kind of knocking on the door of your heart, inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. Listen, accepting Jesus as your Savior doesn't mean your life is going to get easier. doesn't mean all your problems will go away. In fact, it might make your life harder because you're going to have enemy opposition coming against you. Listen, Jesus said if anyone builds a house, he's wise to count the cost before he sets out to build it. The same is true of your decision to place your faith in Jesus. You need to count the cost because salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you something. It might cost you popularity. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you money because Jesus demands that he be Lord of all. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't want to just be your best friend. He is master and king and Lord of all. And so if you're here today and you're intrigued by his invitation to become a part of his body, his family, his bride, and his house, to know that your sins will be wiped away and removed from you and that you will get to spend eternity in his presence one day, would you just boldly shoot your hand up in this place? Is there anybody here today that says, yes, that's me? I see that hand in the middle. God bless you, sir, and I'm proud of you. I see that hand up here. God bless you, I'm proud of you as well. Is there anybody else? If you're watching online and that's you, you just click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on saying, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my savior. I'm placing my faith and trust in him because I want him to accept me into his family. I don't want anybody praying alone. Church, will you join those who are saying yes to his invitation right now? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I place my faith in you. I believe you died and rose again. I give you my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to follow you every day for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome those born into God's family today? Woo! It's a house of miracles. More miracles just happened here.
Listen, as the Dream Team members get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out, can I take one quick second to address those of you that said, yes, I wanna place my faith in Jesus. Congratulations on the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life and welcome to the family of God. We would love to have you do us a favor and find the green I have decided card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Just check the box that indicates the decision you're making today. And on your way out, would you hand that to one of our Dream Team members so that we can give you a Bible and some other resources that will help you understand a little bit more what this whole thing called being a Christian and a part of the church is really all about and encourage you to take some next steps. Hey, if you wanna get baptized as a brand new believer and go public with your faith, we've got the baptism tank set up right now. We could get you changed into some baptism clothes and get you dunked right now. So maybe that's one of your next steps. But hey, on your way out, one of your next steps should be to join a life group. We've got 16 groups out there that you can talk to. I hope you have an awesome week. God bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday. Yeah.